thank you for all of those that are with us as we continue this series. All right, we've talked about uh, the objectives. Just show those for, for one quick second here. You know, we've elaborated on the doctrine of deliverance. We've talked about the multifaceted nature of deliverance. But today I'm going to just deal with that third one, to cultivate a desire, a demand, a diligence, and a discipline for deliverance. I won't get all the way through that list, but I at least begin to, um, you know, how do we make sure that we have the right kind of desire for deliverance? Now, that, that may seem obvious, but, but hold your horses. <laughs> hold your horses, because sometimes we, um, God may want things for us more than we want it for ourselves. All right, so I just, you know, before you say, well, I got that one, let me just move on to the next one. Let me just, 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 just pump the brakes and just go with me on this one. All right, we've talked about the fact that, and I'm just give you a little bit of review, um, that God is calling you to receive Jesus' ministry of deliverance from hurts, hindrance, habits, and strongholds, and then we want to get to the point on the other side of this that we're not only receiving the ministry of deliverance, but God can use us to be a minister of deliverance. And that's when you know you really got it, because not only does it work for you, but then God can use you to make it work for somebody else, too. All right. So let's, let's just give you some review points here. Um, we've talked about, about uh, bondages, um, about the need for deliverance. Bondages as being, as being in prison, as being sticky and stuck in situations and circumstances, sometimes of our own making and sometimes of things that were done to us. They, they ain't all stuff you did. Some of us are born in the situation. Some of us are, you know, have hereditary things that have happened to us. Things happen in situations in society. Society has a whole industri prison industrial complex that's designed to, to um, they look at third grade education scores to determine what size of the prison should be. And then they want you to feel sorry that prisons are getting, that are getting shut down because they don't have enough people in them. And if you've been in prison, you know when you're getting close to the end, they start to throw tickets at you to keep you in there longer. Because it's, it's a system, right? So I'm, I'm just telling you, deliverance has multiple facets to it, right? Um, but we've talked about, over the last couple of sessions, we've talked about the fact that God, the concept of deliverance is to be slippery, to slip out of the hands. When he thought he got you stuck, you slip away. We talked about that it's being at liberty, meaning instead of being bound, that you are free to move about. It's interesting. Um, you know, I know people that have... Um, friends and, and, and others that have been incarcerated, they, they, there's certain restriction to, to their movement that they tend to have until they get themselves through that, right? And, and what happens is even when we don't have physical prisons that we've been in, because we have been in spiritual or mental prisons, we still act like we have restricted movement. And so spiritually, we go from being enslaved to sharecropping on the same piece of land. You know, that's what happened when people got out of, this is Black History Month, people got out of slavery, and then they were sharecropping on the same land, working for the same family that they had been working for before, right? And so if we're not careful, God will say, you know, when I saved you, I made you free from this, but we'll still be sharecropping on that same piece of ground, living on that same land. I ain't never seen no place beyond that because we still live like we live inside that same box. And so not only did we talk about the concept of it being slippery and being free to move about, we also talked about um, deliverance as being each member of the Godhead has a certain part to your deliverance. We talked about God the Father as Redeemer, that his name, that name Redeemer means that he has come to deliver you. And I said one concept is God wants to marry you and all your children. All right? In other words, he's, he's coming into your life and putting himself 
as responsible for all of the stuff that happened before he even got there. All right? That's the concept of God as Redeemer. Um, then we talked about the fact that Jesus is a deliverance preacher, that God sent him to proclaim, to preach deliverance. And we reminded you that when we talked about that, that you have to believe it, receive it, call to it, and then it begins to manifest in your life and situation. As I was kind of meditating on that one, the Lord told me to tell you that deliverance is Jesus' superpower. You know, I love superhero movies. And I love what, you know, they have these different powers. You feel that, don't you? I, I feel it. I know. I'm right there with you, Brother Christian. And um, every superhero has to have some superpower. Deliverance is Jesus' superpower. That's why when you don't know what else to say, you just call on the name of Jesus. Deliverance is his superpower. We also talked about the fact that Jesus can not only deliver us from the things that we can see, he can heal you from hurts that we can't see. And that he can deliver us from those invisible wounds and bondages that have, that have plagued us for years, decades, and even for a lifetime. And that's a big deal. Because sometimes people only fix the stuff that they can't see, and when we can't see it no more, we tell you, you should get up and get over it. You know, um, one of the things we'll... We'll deal with one of the, the pieces of this series is uh, we'll go back to where in James 5, where it talks about if there's any Mary among you, let him sing psalms. Is there any afflicted, let him pray. Then it says, is there any sick, let him call for the elders of the church. So then being afflicted and being sick are not the same thing. The word there, afflicted, talks about mental anguish, all right? And so just because your body is healed doesn't mean you aren't afflicted, according to the Bible. And so we have to recognize that, that the God we serve has deliverances from stuff that other people can't see, but it's still real, very, very real to us, all right? Um, we've also learned that deliverance is a path that you're going to have to take steps. It won't just happen overnight. You're going to have to take some steps towards it. It won't, all your deliverance won't come in slam, bam, thank you, ma'am. You know, um, nothing wrong with it, but you're not going to get all your deliverance saying shake your neighbor's hand three times till you shake it off. And then it's done. I mean, I, if, listen, if that were true, I would do it in every service. I'll be honest with you. I would. If I thought that that was the answer, I'm not saying God can't use that, I'm kind of, but I'm just saying there are sometimes there's some steps you're going to have to take when the service is over. You know, you can have your shout track if you want to, but when the music stops, there's some other stuff you're going to have to do. Steps. It's a path then it's a process. It may take time. You may progressively be delivered. But then we also talked about deliverance being a person, the person of the Holy Spirit, that God will give you instructions and directions, teachings and actionable steps to take that will move you towards your deliverance. But you got to um, identify areas in your life that really need deliverance. And you got to be real honest with yourself. Because some people would rather look delivered than be delivered. They like, to, they like the appearance that everything is going okay. Then actually getting it, going through the process to make it really okay. Right? So I told you guys about a low point in my life when I was just dealing with some issues in my life, and I wrote myself a poem. This wasn't. This is not a confession of strength. This is just where I was at the moment. 
And I wrote this thing, and I, I, I brought it here because I, I referenced it last week, but I thought you might get a kick out of it. It's called The 23rd Psalm for TV Addicts. This is my poem. The television is my shepherd. Its commercials always cause me to want. It makes me to lie down with pornographic images. It leads me to laugh at sinful pleasures. It destroys my creativity and initiative and demoralizes my soul. It fills with my time with uselessness for entertainment's sake. Yea, while I listen to its news shows and watch its horror flicks, I will fear all evil for the TV is with me. Its violent action pictures and lust-filled romantic shows comfort me when I am dissatisfied with my own life. You prepare a lifetime of fantasy before me that weakens my faith before mine enemy. You fill my imagination, you fill my mind with vain imaginations and my conscience is seared over. Surely the remote control and the TV guys shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell as a couch potato forever. I thought you'd appreciate that. I was just <laughs> Pastor David, why you say all of that? Because everybody got to deal with what they got to deal with. Now that may not even be your issue. But just because that's not your issue don't mean you don't got an issue. And so my statement is, when you're dealing with deliverance, Pastor David, why you, why you being, you know, that kind of real? Because, see, then I can't look at you for your issue of deliverance like mine ain't really an issue. See, I can't even be mad with the person who got a substance abuse issue because I know that when I watch this stuff, it produces a chemical reaction in me that's the, that's the same as if somebody was out smoking, tripping, dipping, you know, popping, you know, whatever they doing, I'm still getting a chemical reaction. It's just a different chemical. All right? So I, I want us to really be honest that we got issues. Because, see, God's not going to deliver your alter ego. You know, the person you, you put online, the picture, you know, you don't even look, you know, your hair. <laughs> I got people, they look at, they look, my hair don't even look like that no more. <laughs> I got... Of one of my coworkers at work, you know, you have you have profile pictures on your org chart, and he got a head full of hair. Now all of this is gone in real life, but on his picture, boy, it's all there. <laughs> you know, see, it don't even look like that no more. Okay, see, if you have these kind of alter egos, see, God can't deliver that stuff, man. He got to deal with you, the real you. All right. And so we, last week we talked about that there was a cycle of bondage and we called it the law of sin and death. And we said that it's one law with two destinations. Some of us wish it was just a law of sin. But if I stay in the law of sin long enough, the death will eventually get to me. Lust or desire, thank you for showing the graphic, lust or desire brings forth sin. And sin, when it fully matures, the death kicks in. If I stay on the road long enough, I'm going to get to the destination that that road has taken me. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so, the reason that I want to get off the sin road because I don't want to get to where that road is leading me. It is literally a dead end. Right? That's why deliverance is so important. Now, I can, Jesus can forgive you and you still get to the death at the end of the road. Because some people think that all I need is forgiveness. But if I get forgiving and still stay in the same direction, eventually the death's going to come. Because that's where that road's taking me. Destiny says that I get on a path going to a destination. And I can't keep driving south and get to the direction that's going north. Does that make sense? That's why repent literally means to change your mind and go in a different direction. 
So I got to watch that I don't let the, see, like if I can cut it off at the lust and don't let the lust grasp hold of me, then I will, you know, before I get down to the place where it sins and then I got the, 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 the death and then the, the torment and the bondage and so on, I want to I wanna fix it before it actually attaches itself to me. That's the best kind of deliverance. The best kind of deliverance is not to even form an appetite for something. To, 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 to deal with it at the lust level before it actually becomes an action that becomes a habit that produces a destiny. Does that make sense? So, but then I'll talk to you in a future session about how we get off a death cycle to get on to a life cycle. Because there is a life cycle, but just like the death cycle is a law. It's a law. The life cycle is a law too. And I've got to be willing to do that. Um, so I want to make sure that I fix the desire when it's just a desire and don't let it become a lust that begins to hook into me and begin to pull me in a direction ultimately that I don't want to go. All right? So, but just like a desire can take me to the negative, a desire can take me to the positive. Pastor David, everybody desires deliverance. Oh, really? Where'd you get that from? Let's look at Isaiah 42, 22. Once we get on the death part, do we always want the deliverance that God makes available to us? This scripture says, but this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes, and they are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey, and no one delivers for plunder, and no one says, restore. Some, sometimes we get used to living in our prisons to the point when real deliverance comes we don't even have a desire for it. All right? That's what the Bible says. There's a difference between godly sorrow that works repentance and worldly sorrow that I just, I'm sorry I got caught. If I could keep doing what I was doing without the caught, getting caught at the end of it, I'd keep doing it. You ain't, you, no, you're not ready yet. Okay? Um, the power of the Godhead to deliver in your specific situation is limited by your actual desire for it and your willingness to consistently move in the direction of that desire. Sometimes people don't desire it, but then sometimes people, I mean, you desire to lose the weight, but not enough to go to the gym on a regular. It's not that you don't have some level of desire but that desire hasn't become a determination, right? A, a, a discipline, a, a, an enforced obedience to a decision that's producing the right outcome. All right. Um, it's easy. It can be easier to highlight the condition that you're in, but not move toward the solution that God has for you. Let's look at a very common passage of Scripture. This is John 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. John 5, 1 through 14. After this, there was a feast of the Jews as Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, the house of grace. That's what Bethesda stands for. And there, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped 
in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, knew that he had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, that seemed like an obvious solution. The answer to that to me was, duh, I'm here at a pool trying to get in. Seemed like the logical answer is, of course I want to be here. That's why I'm here. It must not have been as obvious as that because Jesus wouldn't have asked the question if it was. Um, verse 7, the sick man answered him, of course I do. No, he didn't say that. Because how we define the problem sometimes contributes to the problem we've defined. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. He defined his prison as people's problem. Right? Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Isn't it crazy that there is a complex that when you get your deliverance, not everybody who should be happy going to be happy that you got your deliverance. Some people is more comfortable with you in your, in your, in your misery state, in your, in your bondage state, than they are with your deliverance. Yeah. Some people happy to see you unhappy. Some people are happy that, that you are broke down, busted, and disgusted. And they figure, as so, you know, misery does love come. Take the exit road to, the, to your collective pity party. Somebody's not going to be happy with it. Everybody's not happy when you make your move for your deliverance. All right? That's why you got to go. I mean, you know, I decided that I'm going to be people's friends forever. If they make more money than I do, I'm still going to be their friend. If they have a bigger house than I do, if they walk in and stuff that I can't even get to, I'm still going to be happy. They still going to be my friend. I'm not going to throw shade because they got the, they promised before I got to mine. I made, it, I made a commitment. I'm going to celebrate you when you're walking and stuff that I've been asking God to do and he haven't done it and manifested in my situation. I decided I'm going to do that. That's a decision. It's a decision. I'm not going to be this person when you get your deliverance saying, well, it should have happened that way, not this way. They weren't with me when I was there for 38 years. Verse 11. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Now, verse 14 is the key verse that I also want to get to, because it talks about the discipline of maintaining your deliverance. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more. Lest the same thing come upon you. No, it didn't say that, did it? It says a worse thing come upon you. All right. So let's just let's just take this as um, let's dissect the anatomy of this man's deliverance. Let's let's take it let's take it apart. All right. So when God in the flesh came and asked him a question that should have had an obvious answer, where the answer should have been, yes, Lord, do you want to be made well? The man didn't say that. He thought his problem was people, that there was no person to help him. He thought his problem was also timing or luck. Luck is not a Bible word. It's a devil word. He thought if he could just get lucky, he could get into the pool. 
before somebody else did. He just said, I'm, I'm, just not, I'm just not lucky. I'm not in the right place at the right time. Somebody always beat me to the punch. I'm always a day late and a dollar short. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, see some of y'all done heard what that dude have heard too. All right? Um, we have to be careful because we can define our problem in a certain way that contributes to our prison situation. We can limit our lower by how we define our problem. I got a key statement. Show the key statement. If you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. See, if you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. So sometimes you have to be careful how you're defining your problem. Because how you're defining it may be contributing to the problem. All right? So when you look at your situation, how are you defining it? Um, now, see, this is, this is real, real for me. Because in college, you know, I was, defi- I was diagnosed with a learning difficulty. Educational psychologist, took the test, took the battery of exams. And they, they did all of the measurements, and you have a learning difficulty in this area. Now, see, all y'all see is this dude with this degree and all of this stuff and doing all of this stuff. Child, please. But I, I had to decide was I'm going to let that definition become my prison. Okay? I just had to decide. That's what they say, but where am I? Well, look at Job 36, 22. This, this, is, this is what I decided to make sure, make my situation. Behold, God is exalted. I like the King James says, it, he exalts by his power. Who teaches like him? All right? God raises me up by how he teaches me, and there is no because the mathematician lives on the inside of me. You can't tell me I can't learn physics because the physicist lives on the inside of me. You can't tell me that I can't learn chemistry because the chemist himself lives inside of me. And what they can't teach me from the outside, he can teach me from the inside. I had to make sure that I didn't define my problem in the wrong way. Does that make sense? Okay. So we have to be careful because the world has ways that it defines you. You're a minority. That by definition says you are minor. And then if you step above that, they say it clearly had to be Affirmative action. Well, God has affirmed me, and I took some action. You're not going to get in my head and make me feel like I got to earn your acceptance. Because because I'm not going to let you put me in your paradigmatic prison. How you think of me is not going to be how I think about myself. So you got to be careful. Because you can define the problem in a way that you contribute to your own bondage. So this man clearly had a way of defining his problem that contributed to his problem, or Jesus wouldn't have asked the question to expose the way he was thinking. So when Jesus, if he was walking the streets of Flint like he walked the shores of Galilee and found you and asked you, did you want to be made whole of whatever situation that you need deliverance, how would you answer him? How have you 
defined the problem that you face. It's the man. I never, I never knew who the man was. Where does the man live? The man is holding me down. Who is the man? Does he have an address? Let's go to him. <laughs> Let's go by his house and see him. Now, I would be foolish to deny the presence of institutional things that have held people back. And I know that there are some people for whom Make America Great Again is a patriotic call, but some people just wish that they had the power that they used to have over you back in the day. Much love to my Republican WAP viewers. I'm mad at you. I ain't saying everybody, but it would be silly to think it was nobody. I ain't saying everybody, but it would be foolish to think that nobody thought like that, all right? And so I have to be careful that what's in their mind for me doesn't become in my mind for me, all right? When I blame people, I make people my God. I deny the fact that Jesus has keys that open doors that no man can shut and that he shuts doors that no man can open. So that's why I made sure that the guy who has the superpower of deliverance is the person that I call. All right? I also have to recognize obeying one God instruction has the power to change my destiny forever. That's what happened to this man, isn't it? He obeyed one God instruction, and it changed his destiny. If you go on to read the rest of the account in John 5, what you will find is that the religious leaders, who should have rejoiced in this man's healing, were angry with Jesus because he broke their religious rules to do it. They should have, listen, don't think that just because they vote and you vote for them, that when you get the freedom that they've been talking to you about, that they're going to be happy for you. Don't think that everybody that says that they're on the side for this thing, that when you get the thing that they said that they was on the side for, that they're going to be happy with you when you got it. Right? See, some, some people want you to stay in sin and bondage because sin sells. Yeah, you can write that down. Sin sells. In other words, if I get the hook inside you, it, the hook will bring you back to get more of my product. They had some doctors down in Detroit area, $100 million of opioids. Doctors, you, you know, not street hustlers, not pimps and gangbangers. And they weren't living in crack houses neither. But they understood that if I can keep writing these prescriptions, my check will keep, my, my bank account will keep filling up. Not everybody who should be on the side of your deliverance is going to be happy when you, with you when you get it. All right? All right? Now, obeying a command is so important. That's why I, I'm, I'm trying to get out of your vocabulary. Something told me. Because I can disobey something and there's no problem with it because it was just something. There's a lot of names for God, the Holy Spirit, but something is not one of them. He's a comforter. He's a, he's a counselor. He's an advocate. He's a standby. He's an intercessor. But none of the names of the Holy Spirit mean something. Because if I disobey something, nothing happened. 
But if, if Lord the Holy Ghost tells me to do it and then I disobey, then we got a real problem. So I want to make sure that you get something out of your vocabulary. Something told me not to do that. No, 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 no. Lord the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said this. See, now, then I got a thing about is, is it obedience or disobedience? But if it's Lord the Holy Ghost and then it's obedience, then on the other side of that, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is deliverance. This man obeyed that one instruction and got his deliverance. Now, there is a key point in the final part of this account that we read that's very important. Clearly, this man's sickness, not every sickness is like this, but this man's sickness was sin-related. We know that because Jesus told him, don't sin no more. So he's been dealing with some kind of sin issue for 38 years. And he stayed with the cycle of sin to the point that the death of his body kicked in. Pastor David, why is this so important? Because Jesus didn't say, if you go back to sin, you're going to get to the same level of death you already had. You've, you've been paralyzed, but it's going to be worse the next go round. Pastor David, why is that so important? Because if you go after deliverance, then you're going you're gonna to have to do some things to maintain it. Some people think about this, and then they say, well, it's just better for me just to stay where I am, because Lord Jesus, because <laughs> I don't want to get it and then have to do the thing that it takes to keep it, not do it, and then go back and then be worse than where I am right now, for God's sake, right? But Jesus Jesus wants you to get delivered, but he wants you to understand that there's some disciplines you're going to have to maintain, to retain your deliverance. Part of developing the discipline of deliverance is identifying areas in our lives that we must permanently stand guard over. People want to get free but don't want to take on a new set of restrictions. Even freedom has boundaries to it. I don't get free from the law of sin and death until I invoke a higher law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. But the higher law is still a law. Okay, that's very important, y'all. If you're going to get free, you're going to have to get to a higher law, but you're going to have to treat it not like it's a suggestion. I'm going to have to treat the law, the spirit of life, like it's a law with boundaries and rules. And I'm going to have to obey the, that law to stay in the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus. Look at Isaiah 10, 27. Remember, we talked about the anointing. I defined it from this scripture that it's the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God, right? Isaiah 20, 27. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. And this one says the anointing oil. King James says just the anointing. The part of that makes me slippery from the devil is I'm got, I got God's anointing on me. And it makes, it makes the thing that he's bound me with, the burden that he's put on me, the yoke, yoke restricts my movement. He, he's broken and destroyed it off my life. But that's just the lower law. There still is a higher law that says, even though that yoke and burden is destroyed, that I still got to wear another one if I don't want to get that old one back or a worse one, all right? Let's look at Matthew 11, 28 through 30. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, of, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he didn't say that once he, his anointing got on me, I wouldn't have a yoke or a burden. I won't have the one that the devil puts on me or the world puts on me, but I, to get that one off me, I'm going to have to replace it with another one. What people want to be is they want to be free from but not free to. Like they want to get out of the thing that's killing them, but then they don't want to do the thing that will keep them in life. I want to be free from the thing that's destroying my life, but I don't want to be, I want to be, you know, free from smoking, drinking, and eating, but I don't want to be free to eat vegetables all the time and drink water instead of my favorite pop. They want to be free from, they want to be free from the diabetes, but they don't want to be free to. Does that make sense? And so what I have to understand is when the anointing takes off, destroys the yoke, removes the yoke and destroys the burden, that there is another yoke and another burden I'm going to have to take on. But that yoke is easy and that burden is light. Does that make sense? Because what people, you, you're not, you can't live in this middle lane. Some people want to be free from the devil, but they don't want to be a, in a bond servant to the Lord God. They just want to be them in the middle. Like there's the devil over there, Jesus over there, and I'm just somewhere in the middle just living my best life. <laughs> I'm just somewhere in the middle living my best life. All right? <laughs> All right? And, and, and it's not like that. Either I'm going to be on God's side or I'm open to the devil. There's no place in the middle. And if I get free from the devil through the power of God, but don't put God on the throne of my life, then the devil's coming back with a vengeance. Let's look at that. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 through 45. Jesus told us that if we get delivered and get bound again, it won't be exactly as we left it. A person that plays with their deliverance gets progressively worse. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, this is the spirit, not the man. I will return to my house from which I came. I like being with this person, and I want it back. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Apostle used to preach on this and called it clean but empty. Verse 45, then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Devils have degrees. He goes and gets some reinforcements. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So also, so shall it be also with this wicked generation. Spirits are territorial. They like being in certain places. There's devils that have been around your family for generations. And they don't like the fact that the Spirit of God has moved them out. If you let your house that was inhabited by the devil be inhabited by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is strong enough to keep them out. But you're going to have to let him really stay in there. If you don't, you'll kick the devil out. He'll come back and say, well, it's clean, it's swept and stuff, but it's empty, right? If I don't make, if I don't feel the place that the enemy had, with a stronger spirit, the spirit of God on the positive, then that enemy that left will get some other enemies worse than him, and then they're going to all come back, and it's going to be worse than the first one. Does that make sense? 
can't play with your deliverance. There are certain disciplines you're going to have to take on for the rest of your life. And you're going to have to be okay with that. All right? And that's not a bad thing, right? That just means I've got to be dedicated to the Spirit of God. Spirit of God, listen, that's what he's wanted all the time. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, love of God, and the communion, the fellowship, the living inside and with me of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He's always wanted to live with you. Right? He said, I'm going to I'm place inside and take out of the stony heart, put into my heart of flesh, and my spirit's going to live inside of them. That was always God's plan. You were never supposed to be something clean and empty. He's not trying to just get the devil out. He's trying to get himself in. Does that make sense? Okay. But then that means just how I used to make my house, my life, welcome to the devil, I'm going to have to make my life welcome to God. Got to stop quenching him. Got to stop grieving him. I got to find the things that makes his spirit feel welcome inside me and do those things, more of this, less of that. Because if I do stuff that makes him feel unwelcome, he'll leave. And those spirits who are comfortable with my life, who feel uncomfortable because now they're homeless. They in dry places. Isn't that what they said? They're they homeless, will come back to my house and say, I, I'm, I'm going to break back in. And this time I got some reinforcements, so he ain't going to kick me out. Like, it ain't going to be as easy. And what you'll find, if you're around deliverance ministers who've really done deliverance, if they have to come back and deliver the person the second time, it ain't as easy as what it was the first go round. This is why. There's reinforcements in there now. Okay? Right? And that's all a part of this deliverance thing. So when, you, when you're going for your deliverance, you're going to have to make life decisions, lifelong decisions. All right. One final point um, here. Um, is about my desire. Hebrews 11 and 1, I'm just going to refer to it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Mark 11, 24, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, you should have them. Faith is a combination of God's declarations and my godly desires. Sometimes I don't get delivered because I tried it before, And it didn't manifest the way I thought it was. And I don't want to hope no more because it hurts to hope and have that hope deferred. I tried that before, and I don't want to try it again because I got, you know, I get my hopes up and it didn't manifest the way I thought, and then I'm discouraged. I was studying 2 Corinthians 4, and it talks about a great woman there. I may start with this scripture next time. And how she sold into the man of God, Elisha. She systematically sold, just like many of you are sowing daily seed into me. And Elisha said, what can we do for this woman? Now, she was a wife. But it didn't say she married a great man. It just said she was a great woman. Sorry, So I have to be careful that I don't turn off the deliverance power that God has for me because I'm going to have to want it again when I've made peace with my prison. I made peace that this is just as far as this is just what our marriage is going to look like. I ain't going to try again because I didn't try it before. He even got on my nerves. I'm done trying. I, I, I'm, I, I just... It made peace. This is, this is the level of illness I'm going to just have the rest of my life. I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm going to go to heaven with all these issues. I'm just, just a made peace 
with this thing. I'm not going to try again because I'm tired of trying and failing and dealing with the hurt. As I pray over your prayer petitions, this is the kind of thing that I'm thinking about. Lord, these people, they're putting their dreams, their innermost desires and wishes and wants on them. I preach because you told me to preach, but God, I need you to move on their situations. Some of these, they, they, it hurts for them to hope and then to let it fall down. That's what it says in Proverbs, a hope deferred makes the heart sick. Some of them are heart sick. They're emotionally hurt because they've hoped and they feel like their hope has, has disappointed them. Or they've even gotten to the point where they've hoped and it worked. And then that thing that, that God gave them seemed like he took it from them. That same woman went back to the man of God when her son died. Dad just said he had a heat stroke. He was out working with daddy in the field. Read the rest of the story. Had a heat stroke. Dad said, take him to his mother. <laughs> Dad kept working. He wasn't the most spiritually sensitive man I've ever seen in the world. Um, but she said, she said, it's going to be well. She went to the man of God and said, didn't I tell you don't be getting my... <laughs> See, this is stuff that makes me nervous as a preacher. I still got to preach it. Because if I don't preach it, then God can't move. You can't believe it, and he can't do it. But this makes me nervous because I want people to be saying, see, you got, my, you, got my, you got my emotions all up. You got me in the game. And then the thing you got me believing for happened, and then it's gone. It's your fault. She grabbed him. <laughs> but he prayed, and he kept praying. And as your pastor, I'm telling you, even in the midst of my own situations, and listen, this year, this one, everything I'm preaching is being tested. Not a bad thing. It just goes with the territory. Happens in cycles to me just like it happens to you. Right? Um, I believe in God that the thing that he's given you will live. And even if, if the deliverance has to be with resurrection power, that the God you serve will deliver you because you're destined for deliverance. Come on, let's stand. Did this bless you today?